Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. When uh, me and Angie were young and freshly married, we went to, we were going to buy our first house, and we're, so we were house shopping. And if you knew me before I was saved, I was kind of uptight. <laughs> I still am, some of you might say. A little bit. But I'm better. But especially about money back then, man. Money was my thing. You know, that was before I met Jesus. And I was real serious about my money situation. And so when the prospect came of me giving several thousands, I think the, we was looking in the seventy to $80,000 range. That was overwhelming to me. This was before the day of Google, right? So I didn't know how to Google how to buy a house, but I, I, I went to the library. I'm telling you, the old Google. And I found a book that started telling you what to look for and what to look out for when you're buying a house. And so I had studied up pretty good. All of a sudden, I was an expert. And, uh, so we went to look at this house in Olive Branch, and it was over there by where you live, Joe, over by the high school, and a nice little house. I, I really liked everything about the house. We looked through it and everything, and I was, you know, I had my businessman face on. I wasn't saying anything, wasn't giving my, my hand away and looking around at the house. I was liking it, and Angie was like, yeah, this is nice. Pretty good price on it. But the book said that if any of the light bulbs was out in the house, I should, note, I should tell the guy about it and wouldn't buy the house if, you know, there was any light bulbs out. He needs to have to repair things first, you know. So I did. I sat down with this gentleman, and I said, look, I noticed there was lights out in the bathroom, and there was one out in the hallway, and there were some scratches on the, uh, the door of the, of the shed out in the back that I would expect you to would paint before we would make an offer on this house. And that guy just looked at me. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> how he looked at me. He was a real nice guy. He didn't hit me or nothing, but I, looking back, he should have just want me good, you know, because <laughs> I was too uptight about money. It was too important to me. And so today we're going to talk about finances. What is the biblical view of finances? And the day's message is entitled, Is He Lord of Your Finances? And so we're going to look at some things that tells us, will reveal to our congregation, to our people, if Jesus is indeed Lord of our finances. You remember the story where Jesus fed the 4,000 in the wilderness? I think about that. He's in the wilderness for three days teaching these people. They've gone three days without food. There's no there's no McDonald's in the wilderness. There's no fast food, and there's no houses in the wilderness. There's nowhere to get food. Do you think Jesus was just, uh, I didn't think about that. He knew. They had been there for three days, and then he said to the disciples, they said to him, they said, well, we better send the people away so that they can get food. He said, you feed them. Now, what you going to say about that? Oh, yeah, right. 
We ain't got anything to feed them with. We don't have, you know how much money that would cost Jesus? None of us make that kind of money. We'd have to, we'd have to cash out our 401ks and our stocks and, but what happened? God supplied. Amen. God supplied. I think about when they came to Jesus and said, your taxes is due. They sent the IRS to Jesus's uh, apartment where he was staying. He said, does your master pay taxes? They was looking for any reason to get him. Did he get upset? Did he start biting his fingernails? Oh, no. The IRS. Nope. He said, Peter, go catch us a fish. And in that fish's mouth was enough money to pay for his taxes. Do you know that the Bible says that it was the traitor Judas that, that held the money bag in Jesus' ministry? <laughs> you might as well had Satan himself. He's got a ministry, and you know Jesus knew what was going on. You know he knew Judas. But he let him carry the money. Why? What do all three of these stories have in common? It shows how little Jesus was concerned about money. It shows how little that he was stopped by lack of money. He didn't say, well, we can't do this ministry because of this, or we can't do what God's telling us to until, you know, we get our finances in order. Jesus had a proper understanding of who his source was. Ooh, that's good. When you get a proper understanding of who the source is, then God has a way of taking care of all your needs, doesn't he? Shouldn't, doesn't the Bible say something about he shall meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? See, all the promises of God or yes and amen, and they're in Christ Jesus. So if we get our eyes on Christ Jesus, get our hearts in Christ Jesus, we don't have to be concerned about the things of this world the way we, we used to be before we got saved. <clears throat> Matthew 6.31, I think it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the premier sermons ever preached. Jesus said, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Then he tells us the key. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. And here we are worrying. Here we are killing one another over finances down here. Killing one another over the, the rent. Matthew 6.21, if you back up 10 verses, says, Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also be. That is an interesting scripture. But it's very true. The, the state of your heart is determined by where your finances are. Are you right with God? Well, let me look at your checkbook. Let me see wh where you're spending your money. Let me hear your thoughts on finances. Because there's a, a, a link 
between what's important to you and your heart. And if finances are overly important to you, if you're spending all your time trying to heap unto yourself wealth, then we know that you might have an idol in your life. <clears throat> our thoughts about money reveal the status of our heart. And that's going to be key to what we talk about today. Where is your heart? Now, I'm not saying anybody. I, I know you guys. I know you love Jesus. And uh, like I said, as I was praying this morning, it just kept coming to me is we got we to gotta keep fighting our way back to our relationship with him. We can't let money, we can't let worries, we can't let cares of this life, the pride, the lust for other things, we can't let those tools of the enemy draw us away from the thing that matters most. Amen. Do not let money trouble you. Don't be in love with money. Be in love with Jesus. And he will supply everything that you need. <clears throat> So I, I wrote down some ways to see if Jesus is Lord of your finances. The first one is, is that you realize that money is simply a tool. We place too much importance. We give it too high credit. It's, it's simply down here just as to create commerce. It's a tool. It's nothing more. In Matthew 6, 24, in that same sermon, he says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't do both. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. If you've gotten caught up in your finances, and that's all you can think about, or your job, and then you're making money, oh, well, your bank account, well, I'm just saying choose this day whom you're going to serve because you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It cannot be an idol. It cannot be something that you worship. The second thing is, if Jesus is Lord of your finances, is that you can have money without it having you. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want us blessed. He's the one that brought up, he's the one that made the word blessing. And everything that goes along, he wants his children blessed. He just don't want money having you. It's okay to have money, don't let money have you. <clears throat> see that it's a tool and, and treat it as such. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Have you noticed that? The stock market, so unreliable. My bank account, so unreliable. It, it can take me years to save up a nest egg and it can be gone within a few minutes. Hard to come, easy to go. So if you got your faith and trust in your money, then you, you got it in the wrong place. You, it says their trust should be in God, who gives us richly all things that we need for our enjoyment. Gives us everything that we need for our enjoyment. <clears throat> you remember when they were traveling in the wilderness? And manna was raining down from heaven to feed them in the wilderness. But he said, just get you a daily supply. Don't save up. Because what happens when they tried to hoard up some of it? It turned to maggots. And what did it do? It revealed their heart. 
It revealed what they were trusting in. Were they trusting in the manna or were they trusting in God? Would God supply tomorrow? What does the Lord's Prayer say? Give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't say, give us enough to last. It says, trust me for today. Hard to do, isn't it? But we're talking about a proper understanding of finances. Number three is, we got to realize that we're simply stewards. That's part of the problem. We want to be owners of everything. We think, hey, that's my money. That's my stuff. <laughs> but in reality, everything we have is a gift from God. And he owns it all. Say, it's all God's. I mean, we got to continue to remind ourselves that, it, that the money in my bank account, if I'm right with God, is his. That way we won't be such so stingy and argue with him when he asks us to do something with it. I remember David prayed in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? He says, everything we have comes from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. We're here for only a moment. It's another, another major point here. These are life lessons right here. We're only here for a moment. You're not taking it with you when you go. We're only here for a moment. We're visitors and strangers. In the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow. Gone so soon without a trace. Oh Lord our God. Even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. That's a proper understanding. That's a proper understanding that we are stewards. And you know what good stewards do? They stay out of debt. That's number four. Now, some of you may say, well, wait a minute, you know, I got to live somewhere and I can't afford to pay off a house or whatever. I used to struggle with that. I wanted so bad to pay off my house because, you know, the scripture, Romans 13, 8 says, owe no man anything but to love one another, right? And so I was like, God, that means I got to get out of all debt. I got to, I can't have a house note. But then I begin to understand not all debt is the kind of debt that I think he's referring to here. I think that kind of, there's, there's a debt that you, you can't pay. That's getting yourself too dug too deep where you become a slave to the lender. But if you have a house note, I think we should relax a little bit about that. That's just the way society does things, and we have to have, live in a house, right? Okay, but, but every intention is to pay my note on time, right? I have the resource. I haven't gotten myself over, you know, in over my head. I have uh, been a good steward, found a house that I can afford, have every intention of paying the people back with interest, so there's an agreement between the borrower and the lender, and it's an arrangement. So I wouldn't consider that bad debt. 
But there are, there are a lot of bad debts that, that good stewards should not get themselves into, like credit card debt, 19% interest, and those kind of things, where they're, they're taking advantage of you, and, and you may go into debt thinking, I ain't going to pay them back. No, <laughs> that's not being godly, is it? So we need to make wise decisions, stay out of debt. Uh, I saw this quote on the Internet. It did, it's not attributed to anyone, so... Today it'll be mine, I guess. Money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. Once again, it's a tool. It's a great tool. You can do great things for the kingdom of God with that tool. But you can also do terrible things. It's just like fire. It can keep you warm or it can burn your house down. Money itself is not evil. It's the root. The, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. So, you know, get things in perspective. It is just a tool. God owns it. We steward it. And we got to stay out of extreme debt and get, get our finances in order. You know, everybody likes to say, I think they did a re, some research one time and said that most people say that if I just made 20% more than I do right now, I'd be happy. And I have lived that out. I have made a certain amount and said, if I made 20% more, I'd be happy. Then I get 20% more, and then I, I adjust my, my lifestyle, and then I need 20% more to be happy. So a good steward needs to learn how to live with financial margin in their life. Most people live from paycheck to paycheck. No matter what their paycheck is, whether they're a millionaire, a billionaire, well, maybe billionaires don't have to live from paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> okay, come back to reality. <laughs> All right. But, I mean, most middle-class folks in America live paycheck to paycheck. And they, they have no margin for error. They have no margin for calamity or disaster or, or anything. And it just throws their life into a tizzy. If anything comes down the pike, the washing machine is broke. Oh, Lord. i got to go down to the church this Sunday, come down to the altar. Pastor, go out to anoint me with the oil. Oh, somebody help. Let me call Pastor. Let me call. Me and my well, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, let me tell you what to do beforehand. Stop living from paycheck to paycheck. Build some margin in there. Save a portion. And we're going to talk about some other godly things to do with your money that will create wealth in your life, okay? But you can't just, you know, when you was a kid, when you was young, when you was a teenager, if you did a job and you made $40, woohoo! I get to spend all that $40. But now you're an adult and you make $40, you got bills to pay. You need to, you need to keep that in mind. You need to do a budget. Budget is proper planning for your financial situation. Being a good steward. See how much is coming in and how much is going out, and then you know what your margin is. And then uh, do a savings plan. Have a certain amount 
put aside for the rainy days, so to speak. It's just common sense, right? I know all you guys know that, but it's just so easy to forget that along the trip. And uh, we just need to understand that that's not the way uh, somebody who's, who's a Christian should live. We should do better. We should set the example in how to live and have a proper understanding of our finance, financial situation. Number five, with a proper understanding, you understand the difference in planning for your future and hoarding. Jesus told the parable about the man who was going to build a tower. He said that man should plan. He should allocate. He should get every, all his ducks in a row. He should know before he starts building that tower, is he going to have enough to finish it? That way he don't get halfway through and realize, oh, I done messed up. And everybody laugh at him. So there is planning. It would, be, it would behoove all of us to sit down this week with our spouse or with our checkbook <clears throat> and say, what could I do better? What kind of planning can I do for my future? If I want different results, i got to take different actions. So uh, that's proper planning for your finances. <clears throat> Hoarding on the other end is, is the guy that built bigger barns. Jesus told the parable of the guy who's had, you know, he had a good crop come in for a couple of years, and he's blessed. Boy, he's blessed. And, and so he starts putting it into barns, and, and he, he says, well, I got to build bigger barns now. And, and which one of us doesn't have, like, too many of those plastic totes under our beds? <laughs> which one of us doesn't spend more money on housing our stuff than our stuff is worth? Which one of us doesn't have extra storage buildings to keep all our stuff? <laughs> now I'm, I'm stepping on some toes. I'm stepping on my toes. <clears throat> all week I've been trying to think, how can I clear this? You know, how can I get rid of some of this stuff, this cluttering my thoughts? You know, we're supposed to live free. And stuff can pile up on us. And uh, we're not supposed to be hoarders. Some people, there's one thing, I don't get sentimental to a lot of stuff. Some of us just get sentimental. Oh, you know, my cousin gave me that, you know, before they moved to New Orleans. I don't know what the significance is, but you've kept it all these years because your cousin gave it to you. You know, well, so-and-so passed, and they, they left it to me. I understand there's certain things that you get sentimental about, but it shouldn't be a whole house full of stuff. Everything you're keeping because so and so, it was so and so's at one time or another. You know, we'll see them again. It's not like, you know, <laughs> I made everybody mad. Let's call it off. Let's forget this sermon. Come on back up, praise team. We'll go back. <laughs> yeah. Don't build bigger barns and think, well, I've saved up enough and, uh, you know, put your trust in your 401k. Well, I've got enough. I can sit back and relax. You know, this life is for, for a short period. And, I, and uh, I don't see in there where God says that we're supposed to just quit doing good things. And so we got to keep fighting. Have you noticed people that stop doing good, people that stop getting up and going to work or, or, or at least trying to uh, 
have some kind of something in their life, their legs start to wear out, their, their body, it, when inactivity, their mind starts to go. I'm just getting into a lot of stuff today, ain't I? But I'm saying you can't stop striving. You can't stop swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. <laughs> just keep swimming. You got to keep swimming. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> I got to look and see if the boss is happy or not. <laughs> Number six. She said, which I hate to repeat, she says, you talk about the stuff in the house, but then there's always the boats and the guitars and everything else. And the <clears throat> Time to go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I got to step on my own toes, too, you know. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you know, my plan is to make you feel so bad about your stuff that you'll sell it to me cheap when we leave here. <clears throat> I'm just being honest. No, just, yeah. Oh, that leads me to number six. Be honest in how you make your money. Proverbs 10, 2 says, tainted wealth has no lasting value. Dirty lucre. <laughs> Filthy lucre, yep. That's King James language. Tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. The Lord will not let the godly go hungry, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Man, that's tough. He refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. That's why you see the, the, even the rich, but they're getting rich by ill-gotten means. They're not happy. It's not making them happy. God gives blessing with, and adds no sorrow. Isn't that what it says? Isn't there a scripture? God maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. That's what it says in the King James, I believe. I can't tell you where it's at offhand. But God will bless you, and you don't have to feel bad about it. And you can be content with it. And you can enjoy it. What we're talking about today is how to ha handle finances in a way that you can put your head on the pillow at night and sleep. Sweet sleep. Number seven, you realize your money is supposed to be a tool for doing good. How many scriptures do you, do you think there are where Jesus went around telling people to help the poor, take care of the less fortunate? Isn't that what he did in his life? 1 Timothy 6.18 says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. I like that. When I feel my life getting cluttered and I feel like I'm hoarding a little bit or I'm sitting on too much finances, more than I need, look for a way to bless somebody. Man, to share. 
what was it, Acts 20, verse 35, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Man, that, that's, the, that's the abundant life. When you can, you have your heart right about money, and God can get money through you to bless others. Mm, that's the place to be right there. <clears throat> I wrote this. Our sins are paid for. Thank you, Jesus. But on judgment day, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our stewardship will be examined. Have you ever thought about it like that? I often say, well, it says for the works that we did in our body, whether they be good or bad, we'll be judged, you know. And I'm thinking, well, I thought my sins were forgiven. I had a hard time understanding, you know, why would I be judged if, if he's forgotten my sins, thrown them as far as the east is to the west. So I, I don't know why he's going to bring them back up on judgment day. No, what he's going to do is we're going to talk about what you did with what I gave you. Your stewardship. You remember the parable of the talents he gave one par talent to one, two to another, five to another. And then, you know, he, he brought them back in to give account with what they did with what he gave them. And that's what we will give an account for on judgment day. What did we do? How far did we get with the plan that God has for our life, the calling that he put on us? And, you know, what did we do? with our finances will be part of that. First Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold just means many folds. It means the, all the different kind of ways God's blessing you. If you have joy, then share it with others. If you have extra finances, share it with somebody. Right? Share. Love. Minister. If you've received gifts from God, then give it to others. Share with them. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Say faithful. I think that is really the key. When I think on Judgment Day, if he can say that you've been faithful, I think that is the thing that... that should motivate our hearts to, to please God is our faithfulness, whether it's our church attendance, whether it's our, our service in the, the body of Christ, whether it's what we do with our finances, what, how we treat others. Are we faithful people? It is required in stewards that we be found faithful. So number eight, somebody who understands and, and he is the Lord of their finances, they understand that the tithe is not just a suggestion. It is a command of God. I wrote this, the tithe is a tenth and a test. You remember when we talked about where your heart is, there your treasure will be also? The tithe is a test. It all belongs to the Lord, but he said, the first fruits is mine, saith the Lord. The very first, the tithe means tenth. The very first tenth, it, that belongs to me. In Malachi 3, he said, will a man rob God? And they said, what do you mean? How are we going to rob God? He says, in tithes and offerings. 
He takes it personal. You are stealing from God if you are not tithing because it belongs to him. You give him what God, you give God what belongs to God and watch how he blesses your 90%. I have no doubt that I could call up anybody in here that's a tither and they could give a testimony to how God has blessed their life. And I remember when me and Angie were struggling with that when we were first born again. Oh, Lord, you know, we just give $20. We give $20 a week, you know. What does he want, you know? And it's like, no, but we, we wouldn't have any financial margin if we did it. There's no way we could do that. But God says, test me in this. See if I will not open the windows of heaven. This is a test of your heart. Do you trust God with, the, with what belongs to him? If you will show him that my heart is right with you, finances are not my God, you are my God, you are my source, you are my supply, and I will give to you what belongs to you, and then I will give offerings above, above and beyond the tithe because I trust you. It is a test of your heart. And I would encourage you, if you're still struggling with that, man, I don't, man, it just seems like a lot of money. Me and Angie just had to say, look, I ain't, we ain't going to think about it no more. We're just going to do it. And we have never looked back, never looked back. And, are, and now we are so thankful to get to tithe. We get to tithe, man. We love tithing. I love when I write out my tithe check. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks a lot about the tithe. And some people say, well, it don't say a lot about the New Testament. You know, I don't think we're under the law. You know, we shouldn't have to tithe or whatever. Well, when Jesus was going around, he was talking to those Pharisees. And he said, you know, you tithe the tiniest amount on your spices, your cumin and, and spices and stuff. But yet you neglect the, the weightier matters of the law, like, being good to your parents, and so forth. He said, he said the first you ought to do. He doesn't say, well, you shouldn't even have to tithe. Don't worry about tithe. Just treat your mama right. No, he says, the first you ought to do. So Jesus confirmed the tithe right there. But the second you ought to do, too. When, I'll find it. When, uh, when they came to Jesus and they were trying to test him, and they said, you think you should pay taxes? He said, give me a coin. And they gave him a coin. He said, whose inscription is on here? They said, Caesar's. He says, well, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And the tithe is God's. Pay your taxes. Tithe. And trust God will meet your needs because you trust him. Simple as that. Number nine. Wisely invest in things that are eternal. That's more on the offering side. You know, a lot of scriptures that we associate with the tithe, like say, we come up here and we take up the offering and we say, we say this scripture and we say, you know, you're tithe, you should tithe or whatever. 
they're really not talking about the tithe. They're talking about things above the tithe. You can't really give offerings until you've tithed. The tithe is the first. And then an offering is anything above the tithe. But the offering is, is where it really gets good because the tithe is always a tenth. The tithe is always a tenth. But the offering you get to decide, and the more you give, it says the more you'll be blessed. And you, so let me, let me show you a few scriptures. Luke 6.38 says, give, and you will, be, you will receive. Your gift will return to you full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, and poured into your lap. He says the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and say, if you gave somebody $10 a day, tomorrow you will get 20 back. God, it's the manifold grace of God. There's many ways he can bless you. Many ways he can bless you. But he tells you there's a principle. Once you give to God, the windows are, of heaven are open. And then to determine how much blessing he can pour into your life, th this is just investment. This is how many seeds do you plant? How much corn do you want in your field? Well, it's determined by how many seeds that you plant. Isn't that just a principle? He said the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give. It's back to the heart again. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. They want to. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need. And plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share, they share freely and give generously to the poor. And their good deeds will be remembered forever. There should be no stingy Christians. With a proper understanding of God's economics. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. For the same measure you meet shall be me measured to you again. That's, that's a blessing. That should excite you. Because you, can, you don't get that kind of return in the world. Don't wave goodbye to your money in the offering plate. <laughs> oh, there it goes. <laughs> can I look at it one more time before you take it away? <laughs> no, you've just made a wise investment. You've made a wise investment in eternal things. Man, the things that, the, the trust and the faith that we show, the faithfulness that we have down here is going to be determine your rewards in heaven. Not, not only do you get things back, God blesses you down here, but you, this is what determines your rewards in heaven. Did you have a generous heart? Or was you hoarding? Was you me, mine, eh, like little Kids, mine, mine, mine. That's two references to Dory in this one sermon. That's a movie. Never mind. All right, so we're about to close. Proverbs 11.24 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. 
be stingy, and lose everything. That's a principle in the Proverbs. That's wisdom. Number 10. You understand that Jesus is just looking at your heart because your heart is so tied to your finances, where your treasure is. What, what are you treasuring? You understand that God is looking at your heart. When that little woman, the little widow woman came up there and Jesus was sitting at the altar, there was a big old treasure chest and they were all putting in lots of cash and he wasn't looking at the cash that they were putting in. He was, oh, you're going to get blessed. Whoa. <laughs> oh, that was a big, whoa, high five. He was doing none of that. He was looking at their hearts as they came up there. And that little woman gave everything she had. It was just two mites. But that's what impressed God. What, is he, what has he ever wanted from you? What has he ever needed from you? He just wants your heart. And money is just a test. It is just a test. We don't need too much of it. We don't need too little of it. We need faith for today. That God will meet my needs according to his riches and glory. He's looking for your trust. He was looking and he is looking at the heart. Now that guy I tried to buy that house from, he was looking at me like I was crazy. I, I remember him trying to be civil about it. He was like, you want me to change the light bulbs? You want, you want me to patch up that little place on the, the barn door out there? He was looking at me like I was crazy. And I wonder how God must look at us sometimes. When we're down here, got our focus on the blessing instead of the blesser. I mean, should I tell the story about the golden goose or what? Our affection as Christians should be for the Lord. If we will seek ye first the kingdom of God and live right according to his principles, everything we need to be added unto us. Deuteronomy 28, 2 says, All the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. How it, I got a question about this scripture. Let me read it again. And all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you, you obey the voice of the Lord your God. How can something overtake you when you're chasing it? If your focus is on making money and being rich and hoarding things and... and Building bigger barns. If you're chasing something, how can it overtake you? Something that overtakes you comes from behind you. This is saying that you will keep your focus on God. The blessings will come from behind. You won't have to chase them. They will overtake you. Let's close with 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Are you content? That is a hard thing to be. 
That's what I struggle with, contentment. My heart is mm, either feeling guilty or, or wanting more. It's always, it's always in a, the wrong position, it seems like. What if we were content? How do you be content? This ain't part of the message, but how do you, how do you grow content? I think it's with a thankful heart. It's considering your blessings, taking account for the little things that you seem, we seem to ignore every day that God blesses us with. Then we wouldn't be focused on the things we don't have. We could be joyful in our current situation. Some people have very little, live in mud huts in some African village. And they're so much more joyful than we are. Isn't that something? How do we be content? Because it says godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing in and we bring nothing out. Having food and clothes and we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, but you, O woman of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. There it is again, right living. Godliness, faith, faithful, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You have told everybody you're a Christian. Now let's do Christian things. Let's live Christian lives. Let's live right. Let's pursue what God wants us to pursue, and that's him. Let's be faithful in the stuff, with the stuff. It's just stuff. It's temporary. We don't take it with us. We, brought, we didn't bring it in. We can't bring it out. So let's get our proper perspective on our finances. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.